Welcome to Working Dog Radio. Broadcasting the Bite. This episode of Working Dog Radio is brought to you in part by the best training conference on the planet, Hits K9 Training and Conference, www.hitsk9.net, or call Jeff Barrett, 863-529-5113. We'll see you there. One of our other great sponsors, be sure to check them out, Ray Allen Manufacturing up in Colorado Springs, rayallen.com. Be sure to use the discount code WORKINGDOGRADIO for 10% off. Spell it out, get the discount. Everyone knows Ted and I are huge fans of Dogtra. Uh, we use all their products, lots of stuff. Dogtra.com, use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off a single item over $200. All right, everybody loves drag and drop the easiest way possible. The easiest way to get a kennel up and running is to get them from Horizon Structures. Go to horizonstructures.com or call 1-888-447-4337. Make sure you tell them that Working Dog Radio sent you. There you go. One of our newest sponsors and one of our favorites, Kinetic Dog Food. Kineticdogfood.com or call 512-279-8966. Get your dog on the right track. One of our other fantastic sponsors that are run by the Heiser, some of the best people in the industry. We love those guys. Uh, looking for a reputable canine kennel with dog sales and training services? They're located in sunny New Smyrna, Florida. Southern Coast Canine provides services worldwide from purchasing your next single or dual-purpose working dog to handler courses and seminars. Southern Coast is a great resource, so check them out. And where you can check them out is Southern Coast Canine. That's letter K, number 9.com, or give them a call, 877-903-DOGS. That's dogs. We get asked all the time what happens to all the working dogs once they retire. If the dogs are lucky, they get to retire with their handler. Sometimes those dogs are expensive in their retirement due to health issues sustained from injuries on the job or old age in general. That's a heavy burden for a lot of the handlers. Enter organizations like the Georgia Police Canine Foundation. These great folks assist law enforcement agencies with life-saving supplies and equipment for our canine officers and help provide assistance for them in their retirements. It can be hard finding an organization with dogs' best interests at heart, but we strongly encourage you to check out Georgia Police Canine Foundation. Great people doing great work. We are back, Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. Um, this is Eric Stambro from Canton, Ohio. With me, as always, from Tulsa, Oklahoma, is my uh, co-host, Ted Summers. Ted, what is up? The temperature. Yeah, it's hot. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, it's humid as shit here. It was like 80, I think it was 90 degrees today, and just humid, like melting hot. So uh, Travis was dying, being, living in Alaska forever. He's been spoiled. It's like, is it always this hot? I'm like, bro, we got 20 more degrees to go. Like, you're, you're, I got bad news for you, homie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, and we're just working green dogs. Uh, we just got back from the inaugural um, HRD police decoy camp up in, uh, Danville, Indiana, it was hosted by the Central Indiana Police Canine Association. Um, Kyle and the kids up there hosted us. Took super good care of us. They provided lunch all both days, and we worked a weird schedule because most of the guys are on night, so we worked 1 to 8 instead of our normal 8 to th 3 or 4. Uh, they provided dinner every night and lunch. It was awesome. Uh, got some pretty good feedback. We had 20, 22 teams there, so um, it was good. Sean and Travis and Allie and Eloise um, nailed it with the instruction. 
So awesome. uh, I think a lot of dudes learned a lot of stuff. We had <clears throat> we had some dogs there that allegedly were sticky outers um, when we did the whole thing that you and I do mm-hmm. with the table work and had dogs outing in three reps. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's either science or ninja or wizardry or luck or something, but right, right, <laughs> whatever the yeah. fuck it was, it worked. So uh, for those that know what I'm talking about, um, Eric and I both do this deal where we teach dogs to out on a table. Um, we have a video of it up on our Patreon account. Um, it seems to work with most of the police dogs. Um, it's how I teach them to out off of equipment and off of decoys, not off of balls. But um, So, yeah, it's a cool little procedure. Um, we had a guy there that was part of uh, a very large police department and was a canine handler starting in 1972, I think. Um, so literally longer than I've been alive. And uh, he told us it was the best seminar he's been to and in like 14 different countries so i was like oh shit all right well so we got more of those coming up by the way so uh <laughs> hit us up hrdpolicek9.com letter k number nine uh, we have normal hrds coming up the next one's in hammond indiana uh so <clears throat> i think by the time this uploads it'll be pretty close to when that one's happening so and that's an actual hrd so the scenario based training not the decoy side so yeah that'll be good what about you um well i've got um just picked up my new enclosed trailer today so I can put more crates and things in it. Um, switching to a bigger kennel building, leaving the one I've been at for five years. It served its purpose, but I've outgrown it. And so I got a new one about a minute down the road from that. Uh, we got to do a lot of work there. Got to epoxy the floors and things like that. But, you know, it's coming along. Um, the big thing is, you know, my new uh, canine training facility. It's canine and SWAT type stuff. Um, I've already had some stuff going on there. It's been awesome. <clears throat> I've renamed it the Fun House since I've got strobe lights and fog machines and there's a grave in the basement, you know, so it might be haunted and all kinds of fun stuff going on there. Um, I've just, I have 45 rooms just on one part of it that I'm using and uh, I just got to start filling that those with stuff, you know, filling them with things to get in the way and um, I'm using my my mom makes curtains for a living and she's got some old fabric and she's making me like curtains with with grommets in them so i can hook them to different parts of the drop ceiling and move it around and change the configuration of rooms mostly for the tactical guys because the dogs will go right through that but um other than that (laughs) it's been fun um doing that stuff i got floppies i'm waiting on um you know i've got a couple dogs sitting over in europe waiting and, you know, they started opening up flights out of Amsterdam, but they're only going to like Chicago, Atlanta, Houston, Dallas, somewhere, a couple other, yeah. like five or six places. And Dulles and Detroit are neither of those. So uh, I'm just kind of waiting. Hopefully, when I open the kennel June 1st, around that week, maybe I can get down there and get some. But um, and that's it. It's been raining nonstop here every day, except for now. It stopped this afternoon. It's pretty nice out. Yeah, it rained here this morning, which is why it's so humid. It's terrible. So, but it's spring and summer in Oklahoma, which is just humid as shit. So yeah, it's humid it and buggy. Don't you guys get a lot of bugs? Uh, yeah, dude. <clears throat> yeah, the vampire spiders are out of control this year already. Ticks—they're disgusting. Uh, every time we go tracking, I mean, we—it it, it was so bad at a place we were tracking a couple weeks ago that you could see like the grass. It looked like the grass was moving. <laughs> There's so many fucking ticks. Mm. And, ugh, it's gross. 
they do have a bunch of cobra chickens out there and i saw possums that eat they know they eat ticks i know i see possums out there so they just need some more but yeah it's disgusting cobra chickens I don't even know what the fuck so we put a bunch about. of shit down at the kennel yeah <laughs> <laughs> we put a bunch of shit down at the kennel in the backyard that kills all that stuff so no ticks at the kennel and no ticks at my house so yeah other than that yeah we got a bunch of bugs all right well let's get to work um so with us tonight is a guy uh, some of you know, uh, some of you don't. Um, I've been following him and talking to him for a long time. Um, I, I'm one of these guys that likes to get knowledge from as many trainers as possible. This particular guest uh, wrote a, an e-collar manual. We'll talk about it. Um, and I, I, I've probably sold 50 copies for him in the last six months. An e-collar manual that you can get on Amazon and other places that is probably one of the easiest e-collar things to follow makes the most sense if you were um if i i get it i give it to police dog handlers i give it to pet dog uh trainers people that are new my employees at the daycare that i'm kind of bringing along as possible trainers i make them read it because for for most dogs it's it's so easy to follow and use and if you follow it you actually can Make yourself a way better e-collar trainer and uh, a pretty good foundational e-collar trainer. Um, so with us today, we want to welcome our friend Larry Crone. Larry, how are you, buddy? Hey, thanks, fellas. I'm doing very well. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, you still in Kentucky? Yeah, I am. I, well, I'm supposed to be talking to you guys from the beach tonight. I'm supposed to head to Florida, but <laughs> uh, my Crocs finally won the battle, and I took a pretty pretty good fall working one of my dogs the other day and tore my hamstring so i'm i'm laid up right oh, now holy and, uh, shit. stuck it yeah i'm devastated man so i i held off the pain pills and the muscle relaxers to talk to you guys because who knows what the hell would come out of my mouth if i didn't you know so i'm just <laughs> sipping on some brandy right now to ease the pain right. yeah they got me to a tour tour yeah, yeah, I, I, it, it's, uh, you know, I, I was an athlete growing up, and I've torn my hamstring plenty of times, but never this bad, and I guess it's just, uh, you know, age and being out of shape and being much heavier than I've ever been, it was a bad combination, you know, it really was, so it, it, it got me good. I laid in my driveway for a while before my wife came out to, to get me, and uh, my my female Malinois I was working with her and she kind of freaked out and was trying to get me up get me up and then I kept pushing her away and she just laid with me and stayed tight to me and never moved but it got me good wow that that's horrible I I've heard of I've known a lot of people tore well I have a slight tear in my bicep right now but I've know people that have torn you know biceps rotator cuffs Achilles but I don't know if I know anyone's actually tore their hamstring that sounds miserable yeah, it's, but, it, it um, sucks, you know. I don't. I'm not getting around very well. Right. So for the brandy aficionados out there, what are you sipping on? Well, you know, I'm not a brandy drinker. I'm a big bourbon and whiskey guy. But uh, when I did the seminar in Scotland last year, a friend of mine at the seminar gave me a, a bottle of this stuff. It's called Glava, I think, G-L-A-Y-V-A. And I didn't feel like having bourbon with my pain pills the other night. I said, let me try this stuff, you know. <laughs> And it's just it's just nice to sip on. It's it's pretty delicious and it does the job. So it's I mean really like an old man right now sipping on brandy. <laughs> That's great. So we're gonna get into um, we're gonna get into some e collar talk. We'll get into some behavior stuff. And what I'm really interested in is you kind of bridging the gap between 
working dogs and uh, pet dog stuff and the similarities and things that um, handlers could do uh, on and off duty to make their life so much better and they don't even really realize it. Um, so before we get into that, let's kind of, we like to go through a person's history. Uh, if you talk about like uh, what led you into dogs and uh, what brought you about where we're at today. Yeah, sure. Um, I started working with dogs the same year I started my career with the federal government. I started my career with the United States Border Patrol back in early 1996. And um, I wasn't a canine handler there or nothing, but my first journeyman, uh, when you first start off, you ride with senior guys, you know, for several weeks to get you started. And I hit the jackpot because my first journeyman was a real good guy and he was a canine handler. And he had a Malinois, Malinois named Rudy. I'll never forget him because I didn't even know what the hell the dog was. I thought he was some kind of mutt, you know, German Shepherd mix. And it was just awesome to watch him work. And I was in Douglas, Arizona at the time. And back then, mid nineties, it was just, it was insane, man. It was the wild, wild west out there, you know? So I got to see the dogs do a lot of work, but it wasn't until I got my first dog, my own dog with just a, a mutt border collie lab mix. And like a lot of people, I just completely destroyed it, you know, totally screwed it up <laughs> completely. And, uh, mostly on the behavior side, you know, I mean, I just, I did what the average pet owner does today. You know, you give the dog everything at once, you treat it like a baby. We didn't have kids at the time. So that was our baby. And I made that dog a mental midget. I really did. And so I started working with a trainer back then in Sierra Vista, Arizona. And I just got hooked on the behavior side of things, you know, and he had the best behaved dogs I had ever seen. And that's what I was really interested in at the time. So I was just like a sponge. I just soaked up everything this guy did and said, and it just started from there, you know, and I just started training my own dogs and little by little more people saw the way my dogs acted and they would ask me for help. And so I trained dogs for free for a really long time before I ever started taking on paid clients, you know, um, because I loved it. I enjoyed it, but I just, I made that my classroom, you know, and you can go to all the classes you want and get all the certificates you want. But until you get your hands on a lot of dogs, you know, in my opinion, that's, that's just the best experience there is. And, you know, when I actually started the business, um, we moved to Bowling Green, Kentucky, the Nashville area, you know, I'm, I'm a little less than an hour from Nashville that's when the business started. And I honestly only wanted to train dogs and make a little money to deal with my dog habit. You know, Hey, this will pay for my dog goods, you know? And I started working with some shitty dogs right from the start, some aggression cases that I did really well with. And it just got much bigger, much faster than I ever expected or wanted, you know? And, 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 and that's how it started. But the problem was, Working with aggression in the beginning and doing well with it, it was kind of a double-edged sword because I brought in a ton of business, people wanting my, my help, but they were all the same kind of dogs. They were all just really nasty aggression cases, you know, for, so for several years, that's all I worked on. That's all I trained. And because people thought that was my specialty and it wasn't, I don't have specialty, you know, it just happened to go that way. And, and that can get kind of old after a while. I got a little burnt out. I literally took a whole year off of training for a while. 
Uh, I was just tired, tired, tired of being away from the wife and kids, you know? And, uh, I just, I couldn't stay away too long. And because I used to do so much traveling, you know, all my clients were spread around the Nashville area. And so all my free time that I wasn't with the government job, I was traveling to train dogs. I used to train dogs in the home. And after I took the year off, my wife said to me, she said, why don't you just have people come to you? And I told her, I said, Steph, I said, people aren't going to travel two hours, you know, an hour, two hours to come to my house to have me train your dog. She said, well, what do you have to lose? And I listened to her and I opened back up and I haven't had to leave my house since. And that was several years ago. So that made that made it a lot more enjoyable because now I don't have to leave my house. People come to me, not saying I still don't bitch and complain because I do, but I'm very grateful for that part. I get to be home, you know, real quick. So the, the in-home lessons, when you go to people's houses, uh, I've only done a couple of them. It kind of yeah. freaks me out. What's what's give me a good story. What's something freaky that you saw at someone's house when you went to do a lesson? Man. <laughs> oh, geez. There's so there's there, there were so many. All right. Freaky. I tell you, um, I got a call from a lady one time, hysterical crying, you know, like bawling her eyes out. She had two little English bulldog puppies and the one puppy would not poop outside. She said, I don't care if I stay out there for five hours, it won't poop. And then as soon as I come in, it poops on the floor. And she said, I can't take it anymore. And she's hysterical on the phone. So I said, okay give me your address. I'm going to come down tomorrow. And so she gives me her address and I come into this gated community in Nashville where it's just like, you know, wealth beyond imagine, you know, where a lot of celebrities live and a lot of music people live. And I go in this lady's house, you know, and she's, she's still hysterical and she's got these two cute little puppies. And I asked her a lot of questions, you know, and I watch, I like to watch how people interact with the dogs and her husband was out of town and he traveled a lot. And I think I knew why he traveled a lot after dealing with her. And so I took the dogs outside, both of them. And uh, I said, you just stand there and watch. So you watch me with your dog. And, you know, the dog pooped within 10 minutes. And she was just so happy and so excited. And she came out and just praising the ground I walked on. And one of the questions I had asked her earlier, I said, well, when the dog poops inside, is it normal? Is it loose? Does he have diarrhea? Is there blood in any like medical possibilities? She came outside after the dog poop and picked it up with her bare hands and put it in my face oh, and goes, no, yes. look, it's totally normal. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. And I <laughs> yes. kind of backed up. And yes. she, 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 never, she never washed her hands. And I got out of there and I never went back. <laughs> Even you know, better. She wanted me to trade her dogs. But Even I, better. I, I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't do that. I just thought that was very bizarre, you know. It was like, yeah, but she was gonna pay you in I cash to, too with that hand. Yeah. Oh yeah, no way, man. And, and so I've seen. I mean, I've, that's all I used to do was in people's homes, and in a way, I miss it because you really get to see the true dog, and I get to spend a lot of times in the little things that people overlook. Um, so every now and then. Uh, when I want to do it, I'll pop in and see a client or if someone local to me in Bowling Green wants private lessons, then I'll go to their home. But for the most part, I, I don't I don't do much of that anymore. You know? Yeah. No, thanks. Um, so when you started a Border Patrol and then um, in your current position, what what kind of exposure have you had to dogs actually doing the job while you've been working? Oh, geez. I mean, all kinds, you know, all kinds of exposure, but mostly, mostly with narcotics 
uh, detection it was out there. You know, I mean, they used dogs to find bodies too, but there was so much dope coming through the border back then. You know, it was, it was constant. It was absolutely constant, you know, and there were so many dogs in the area between the port and not that we worked the port, but we worked around the port. So you always saw dogs working, you know, but even back then, um, usually most of the dogs and handlers I saw, they, you know, I knew right away they weren't really very experienced in what they were doing. And then, you know, I learned later on that basically they breed these dogs, they train these dogs, and these people that get these dogs, they're not dog trainers. They just promote them to a position and they do a little bit of training, you know, very little, and and off you go. And so back then, there was a lot of handlers getting torn up by their own dogs. It was pretty common down on the border, you know, and it, it was such a chaotic scene out there 24 hours a day. You know, you just, the dogs got to, got to work a lot, probably a little too much, you know? And um, so you got to see a lot of things down there. It was a busy place. It was a very, very busy place. Were those, were the dogs kenneled at night or go home with the, with the handlers? No, they went home with the owners. You know, and, and, and that's another pretty shitty story because the the journeyman, you know, friend of mine that had that dog, he had that dog for years, like a really long time. And his kids were born with that dog in the house and they were attached to him. He was a great family dog. And my buddy got promoted. He started moving up the ladder. And when he took the promotion, he couldn't be a canine handler anymore. And he wanted to retire his dog. His dog had a very successful, long career, you know, and uh, the powers that be over the agency at the time denied him and took his dog from him and moved it to a different station. And and I was, man, I was just so disgusted for him at that point because you removed basically a family dog away from its kids and everything. And the kids couldn't understand why, you know, but uh, they weren't in kennels back then. They went home with their, with their handlers. I always say when it comes to working for the government, whether it's local, state, or federal, it's not the work that pisses you off ever. It's always the yeah. cheese ahead. You know, always the, it's always what runs. <laughs> Absolutely. Before. We got into it for the work, you know, um, they, they always yeah. manage to fuck all that up. <laughs> um, so let's, let's get in to talk about e-collars. Um, kind of one of the main mm-hmm. things you're really known for. Um, and Ted and I talk about this a lot. Yeah. When when I got into canine and when Ted started uh, working with dogs, the e-collar was used only on the most incorrigible dogs. Um, back at our place, right. and it's funny because I'm, I'm training a handler now whose father was the trainer of the police department when I got hired there, and him and I talk about it. And he said, yeah, he said that, it was it was only for um, uh, recall and out, and only in the worst dogs. And it was only on it was straight up just for punishment. Um, and then, and I think Ted, you said the same thing. It was kind of not really such a fluid use of the tool when you started, wasn't that right? Mm, no. <laughs> and yeah. in fact, ironically enough, Travis and I were walking around the office yesterday. And uh, the old man, uh, Scott, had, I don't even know what the fuck that thing was. It was the whatever the, it was whatever collar that Moses used on um, the Ark. And, um, <laughs> I mean, it had a leather strap and it had, like, the battery pack. I have a picture. I should have, I should send that. We should put up on Instagram for this. 
uh, and on Facebook for like this interview because this thing might have been older to me. The thing, like the battery was like the size of a tall boy or the, the remote was size of a tall boy and it had one of those giant Zach Morris like antennas mm-hmm. on it from like the first cell phones and it had one fucking button. That was it. And you changed yep. out the intensity by switching out like, I don't even remember what it was. Scott was trying to tell me how it worked and Travis who's quite a bit younger than me, just looked at me. He was like, what? And I'm like, dude, I don't know. We don't use it anymore. He's like, does it work? I'm like, fuck, probably. I don't know. But I remember seeing this thing. And, you know, like literally I joke now and I tell handlers, I'm like, plug him in. And this is what I mean. Like I'll light him up like a Christmas tree sometimes. And when I reference that, that's the caller I'm talking about. I think it's super old. I'm going to go find a picture. I'm going to take a picture of it tomorrow. We'll put it up for this episode because it is. It's old, like, like old, old, back when cars had carburetors still. <laughs> but yeah, when I started, that's what it was for. I mean, it was straight up like avoidance or like training a training a bird dog. They were trying that's to do it, it with police dogs. When I first started, yeah, when I first started with police dogs, did the same thing, and I had a couple of them uh, disagree, and uh, I ended up getting nuked. So I figured out how to be. <laughs> I figured out how to be a little bit better with timing and a little bit better with uh, using the tool. So yeah. But yeah, it's yeah. When I started, it was kind of the same thing. So only for certain dogs, only for the hardest dogs. Oh yeah, the same prong collars were the same way. We only used prong collars on the dogs on obedience that uh, that the choke chain wasn't working on. But um, so Larry, talk about your introduction to the e collar. Yeah, um, when I started training, I hated e collars. I was very anti e collar because I grew up a bird hunter. I'm a big I'm a big deer hunter, and as a kid, I used to hunt a lot of birds. I'm born and raised in New Jersey and, and I loved pheasant hunting. And, you know, I've been, I literally been hunting. I've been in the woods since I'm four years old. I started hunting with, with my uncles, you know, and, um, I used to see the bird dogs out there were on state land in New Jersey, which is a whole other comedy spectacle, you know, orange to orange, just shooting over each other's heads and shooting at people. But <laughs> I see these dogs out there getting lit up with the e-collar. And I never saw one of them respond appropriately. I just heard the dog screaming and running faster and harder all the time. Um, so I was very, very anti-e-collar. And then somewhere around 2005, 2006, whatever, I started seeing different usage of the collar. It started getting more popular, and it just really piqued my interest. And so when I gave it a shot and got back into it, um, I still wasn't thrilled about the way it was being used, you know, and for about a year, I tried to train the way other people were with the tool. And I always tell everyone for that one year, I became a real shitty dog trainer because up until that point, I had really well-behaved dogs, Rottweilers. I'd be downtown Nashville with Rottweilers off leash. And that was a novelty to people. I can go into the deli and order a sandwich and the dogs wait for me. I didn't think nothing of that. That was just normal to me. Like, why would my dogs want to leave? And so that's when I started getting noticed with my dogs. When I started training with the e-collar, everything was pressure-based still at that time. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Even if it wasn't harsh, you know, even I've never, I've never been a harsh trainer, even for that year. So, but even at lower levels with the e-collar, it was still all pressure-based. And I started realizing there's still not enough communication with these dogs and they have no opportunity to win. It's all through pressure. And that's why when the demo dog thing started getting real popular, that's why everyone was using high drive Malinois because they could take so much pressure, but I also saw so many of them just explode, you know? So I knew 
after that one year, I don't like training like this anymore. I'm going to come up with a better way. And I just started watching other people in the industry, you know, that were doing phenomenal things. And I think around 2008 or so is when people started using a little more positive reinforcement training and people like Bart Ballone and maybe Pat Nolan that were big into the e-collars were doing different things. And the first time I went to work with Bart, that changed everything for me. I mean, that's, that's the day my life as a dog trainer changed because I had never seen dogs not only perform like that, but that wanted to do the work. You know, and I was so blown away. And at that moment, I know that I can do a lot more. I have to do more. And so I started utilizing the tool a little differently. I never tried to copy anyone, but I just took things from people out there, you know, Bart being one of them that were doing really great work and incorporated it in the way that I like to train the dogs anyway in the behavior. Um, I didn't use food when I was, you know, a little bit younger. I, I was totally against it. That was pet smart stuff. It was all done with a flat buckle collar and a leash, you know, and there wasn't a lot of pressure. That's just how I trained. So once I started utilizing the e-collar, still low level stuff, but more negative reinforcement paired with positive reinforcement, the change in the dogs were, it was just ridiculous. It was instantaneous on all dogs because before even the pressure-based training with the e-collar, if you weren't lighting the dogs up on high levels, but even the pressure-based training on low levels a lot of times you'd see the dogs down in the dumps for two, three, four days. There was too much confusion there. The dogs would eventually come out of it, but there was too much confusion in utilizing the tool with the e-collar, you know. But as soon as we switched things up and started adding more positive reinforcement to it and using the e-collar as more negative reinforcement and less positive punishment, and that's about the most technical you'll ever hear me talk in dog training, it was, it was like night and day, you know, you could put the e-collar and start working on a dog that, you know, wouldn't leave its house because it was scared of everything. I mean, just totally shut down. And after one session of conditioning it to the e-collar, like we do today, you'd see the dog completely turn around. It was mind blowing. And back then I really got vocal about using the tool this way. Um, and I always tell people I didn't invent nothing, but look at the results we're getting here on the most down in the dumps dog. The dogs can't lie. And I didn't know why back then you could take a dog that was scared of everything, you know, really weak dog. I didn't know why, why implementing the e-collar? Why does it make the dog look so good? Why do they change? I had my suspicions, but today I'm pretty certain it's just because dogs like that, they never get a chance to better their situation. They never get to win. You know, they get pampered a lot. They get babied a lot. People feel sorry for them. And it's either they're pushed very hard because people get frustrated and disgusted or they're just left alone. So they never change. But when you put the e-collar on a very scared dog and you implement low level stimulation, the dog's totally confused, has no freaking idea with that foreign sensation is, you know, but when you guide the dog dog to you when you help it with the leash and that strain stimulation goes away that dog gets maybe the first win it's ever had before and then when you follow it up with something more positive if the dog will take food at that time 
it changes that dog's mindset very, very quickly, very quickly, you know, and, and I've literally shown it hundreds of times because when I started seeing this in so many dogs, I, I just wanted to talk about it. And the reason I started putting out so much e-collar stuff, I just wanted people to stop frying their dogs. You know, it was just, it was just blowing my mind how many dogs I saw. You tell a dog to do something, if it doesn't do it, it is lit up with the e-collar. The dog does something you don't like, it's lit up with the e-collar. I used to go to a lot of working dog clubs, and I'll never forget seeing people go out to work their dog, and then someone on the sideline would be holding the old giant Tritronics, you know, e-collar remote. And I'm thinking, what the hell are they doing? Yeah. And then I'm watching this person on the <laughs> sideline light this dog up working on the field. I was like, whoa, what the hell? I was blown away. I couldn't believe that, you know? So I've always worked real hard to show the tool in a different light. And believe me, I, I used to get a little upset when people would associate me with the e-collar because I didn't want people to think that's all I was about. You know, the e-collar is a small part of my program. But every time I went somewhere, I'd hear people say, you know, that's that e-collar guy or something. And I used to get really upset by it. Then after a while, I learned, you know what? Maybe I should just use it to my advantage and maybe show more people how we could utilize the tool for the best benefit possible and build the dog up instead of destroy them. You know, and, and so I've tried real hard over the, the past several years to do that. And sometimes I think I'm doing well. Sometimes I think I'm not doing so well. So who knows? <laughs> awesome. So uh, you mentioned some things and just to kind of so people don't have to go back and listen to the other episodes. Talk a little bit about you mentioned positive reinforcement, which I think everyone understands what that is. Um, talk yeah. a little bit about um, negative reinforcement and how you're using that with the collar. Cause you know, we want to kind of um, outline some ways, like part of this whole entire episode is kind of outlining for police handlers and military handlers that are allowed to use collars, um, where people are making mistakes and how we can implement some easy things for them to use. Yeah, sure. And you know, I work with a lot of police officers, a lot of canine handlers. I've worked with some military people and, um, when I talk about positive reinforcement, positive punishment, I mean negative reinforcement, positive punishment, I don't talk about quadrants and negative P this and minus. That's not me. I hate that kind of talk, and I have a very good relationship with my clients, and I never once had to talk about the four quadrants of dog training. People don't give a shit. You know what I mean? They don't care. Right. They want simplicity. So I've always kept it extremely simple. But the one thing I've noticed is that when I work with, especially canine handlers, and I work with a lot of them, and they always come in very open-minded. But when we start retraining the dog, and I start doing the basic stuff I do with a pet dog, almost always the first thing they say is, no, 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 he knows how to do that. And I have to explain, I understand he knows <laughs> how to do that. I totally get it. But up until this point, which you have to understand, like with all dogs that I work with, I don't give a damn about the obedience when I'm teaching the e-collar. What I give a damn about is the dog truly understands the meaning of that stimulation as a most as close to neutral as can be. But I want him also see it leading to good things. So when I start with the very basic stuff with, you know, a police dog or any kind of canine, you could tell first a lot of times people's egos are hurt because now he's been through all this. 
But the only thing the dog has ever seen with the e-collar is when he's not doing, and mostly with the out. So a lot of the canines I work with, the only introduction they've had to the e-collar is he's on a sleeve, he's on a bite, they're screaming at the dog to out, and when he doesn't out, they're cranking up the e-collar and lighting him up. That's the whole basis of their e-collar training. Or maybe the dog's going after a, a decoy and they call the dog off and he doesn't come off and they're lighting him up. And so now I have to completely turn that around and start from scratch. But the beautiful thing is the dogs don't care. They all change. So when I talk about negative reinforcement, when that e-collar comes on, very low-level stimulation on the highest-drive dogs, and I ask the dog to perform something, when they perform that act, let's say it's the recall, okay? When they turn around and take one step towards me, that e-collar goes off. That dog is already learning how to better its situation. And then when you mark that behavior on the spot, when the dog truly knows the marker word, that builds speed in the command, okay? So maybe he'll come to me fast if I don't say nothing, but when the dog hears the marker word or the click or whatever you use, that builds intensity in the command and speed. You know, it's a very, very powerful things in the dog's mind. And so I work with so many canines that have trouble with the out. And it's always the e-collar implemented after they tell the dog to out and he's not. And they're using it on high levels. And what that does with a lot of strong dogs, if not most, they just bite harder and bite, you know, more intense. And a lot of them love the game. They love to fight when you get a really strong dog, you know. But what I've been able to show so many of these people with very strong dogs, if we take a few weeks to teach the dog what that stimulation truly means, like truly means the dog gets it, meaning that if the dog is 50 yards away from you and you just tap the e-collar, the dog turns and runs to you because he knows without a command, that's his default response, what he's supposed to give you. When the dog knows it like that, now let's say if you're going to use it during the out where you're having trouble. Now, instead of telling the dog to out and punishing him for not out, now, when that e-collar comes on at the appropriate level, and very rarely do we have to go very high, the dog understands, here comes the command, what's he going to tell me? So when the e-collar comes on and we say out, and the dog releases, right away, again, he betters his situation, and the e-collar goes away. And then we give him a second, and what's he get for a reward? He gets to rebite. And then we just start extending that time between him getting to rebite, you know? And what you could see from there is very, very quickly, if that's the route you take, and honestly, I don't teach the out with e-collars, not my own dogs anyway. But if that's the route we take, what you find is dogs start outing without the tool very, very fast because we remove conflict. You know, we take away the conflict. And you guys know a lot of these police dogs, they love the conflict. And so when you try to create more, it just makes the dog stronger and fights you a little harder, you know? Pretty much, yeah, sums it up really good there. Um, so uh, Ted and I talk about this a lot. Uh, we get those dogs in, and there's this, um, what do I want to call it, a, a saying that, uh, and I, I don't see it as much in, in pet dogs as I do in very high-drive uh, working dogs that Ted and I get. Um, Ted really seems to get some real doozies, too. Uh, is that that theory that a dog will will tag the handler if he if the correction is unfair? That's a term that's used all. Do you what do you subscribe to that or do you subscribe to that 
that that a dog will react if it's an unfair or appropriate level of of correction i think the dog tags the handler when for one there's not a strong enough foundation in the whole communication system there and for two when that e-collar or prong collar just represents something really bad when it's not real clear you know and unfortunately there's no reason for it but at this age in the game there's so much information out there I talk to people literally 365 days a year from all over the world when it comes to the e-collar. And it blows my mind that there's still people utilizing it so incorrectly. And when it's only a negative, 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 and you guys know some of these strong dogs, absolutely, they will turn and just nail you. But when the communication, when the information we're giving the dog is very clear, you know, I'm not saying that it sh- should never happen or it's never going to happen. I've just never had it happen to me. You know, um, if I think I'm working with a dog where that's a possibility, then I'm going to be a little more careful and take precautions and make sure the dog is very, very clear on things, you know, very clear on things. But I've, I've been through it. I've been at, at clubs or working dog events where someone's struggling with something and I watch and they go through person after person, trainer after trainer, you know, say the out for, for the same. And everyone does the same thing. They just try to use more force. And it doesn't work. You have to show the dog something different, you know? I have a fantastic story about that. We bought a dog about four years ago. Four, uh, five now. Um, he sold to us. Videos look good. Um, vendor I trusted. Um, said the dog had an out. Ironically enough, none of the videos he showed me had an out. Off of a, you know, he had off a ball, right? Like he'd show me the dog. like Right? So I was like, all right, cool. So we get the dog in. He's social, right? Like you can pet him. You know, he was running around in my normal Tuesday night training. And, you know, he was 21 months or 20 months. I don't know, like less than two, but more than two and a half. And so we get him and he came from Holland. So I was like, all right, it's going to be Lowe's. Right. So worky, worky, worky on a back tie. He would out off a ball. I'd fucked with him a bunch playing tug with him. Dog named Lowe's. He spit the ball out. So put the dog on my decoy. Dog named Lowe's. And he exploded into fucking confetti and tried to murder me. I mean, had I not, had he not been on a back tie, he would have, I would have been in the hospital. And I was like, well, now I was like, that's interesting. And I put two and two together real fucking fast. And I was like, this dog has had his ass beat. And oh, yeah. <laughs> like, so I, uh, I started, I had to start back. Like you said, go, like you said, just say with your officers, you're like, no, he already knows how to do that. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, I get it. Like he can out, but he's going to have to bite. He's going to bite somebody else. And I was like, we got it. So I had to retrain this dog, how to out with a different word to this day. If you say los around that dog, he will come unhinged. Yeah. Uh, I was, Oh, fuck me, man. And so no pinch collar and I used an e-collar and that dog is super handler sensitive to corrections. Right. So he didn't need any, like he didn't need a ton of pressure. And it was kind of the same thing. In fact, I got him to out without any like negative at all. Like it was literally just two ball, two decoy, and then good timing. And he went to an experienced handler and I told him, I was like, just don't ever say the L word like ever because he's going to bite you. (laughs) If you want him to bite you, then that's how you say it. Like if he won't recall and you say low, he'll come back to you just to fucking bite you. So <laughs> like he he definitely did not want you know, man. And I was like, yeah, he'd had he'd had the rubber hose filled with sand. So oh yeah, <laughs> man, that was hairy. But that's a perfect definitely example a story of, there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and as far as the e collar goes, everyone pictures it the same way. But there's 
very unconventional things you could do with it also. You know, and I've talked about this before. I had a dog here a few years ago, German Shepherd, that the people took out of a hoarder situation on Craigslist. So you can imagine what that dog looked like. He was not your well-bred German Shepherd, you know. And um, this he dog had an awesome foundation, too. <laughs> oh, my gosh. As soon as I would see this dog, he would pee everywhere. Just fill his crate. And it didn't matter what I did. And normally that's not hard for me to fix. But I got so frustrated. I called the owner, you know, a week into this, whatever. And I literally told him he came from uh, Memphis. I said, I hate this fucking dog. And he goes, oh, no, what's wrong? And I told him what he was doing. He said, okay, I'll come get him. I'm like, no, 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 don't come get him. I said, I just need to vent and tell you I hate this fucking dog. Like, he's he's completely destroying me. And so I tried everything I could. And the funny thing was the dog trained really well. He did really good in the training, you know, took to the e-collar wonderfully, did great in the training. And I was beside myself because everything that normally works for that problem wasn't working. And then one day I really reached <laughs> deep down inside the dog was out where I keep my dogs, and I would come through my kitchen and into the garage, and as soon as I got into the garage, that's when he would pee. But this time I did something a little different. I left his e-collar on. I made sure he drank plenty, and I left him in there long enough to where I knew he had to pee. And now what I started doing was on his working level, very low working level on the e-collar. Before I ever started opening the door, I started tapping the e-collar. Tap, tap tap that kind of cadence and when i opened the door mind you through this whole thing i never stopped tapping. when i opened the door instead of the dog looking at me and submitting and peeing all over the place he was staring at me with his ears up as to say what what do you want and i'm like holy shit he didn't pee yet so i just keep tapping as i'm walking past his crate he's in a wire crate and as i walk past sideways to the dog i unlatch the top one and i open the door to go outside I'm still tapping through this whole thing. I walk back the other way and I undo the bottom one and I let him run out. He ran outside and peed. That dog never peed in his crate again. And now when I talked about that and I wrote about it and I told people what I did, they were like, holy shit, you're a genius. I was like, no, I failed like the first 30 things I did. I was desperate. <laughs> I was completely desperate. But, but that stimulation, <laughs> that stimulation from the e-collar that the dog really knew by this point, he understood what it meant. But when I wasn't there to tell him what to do, the dog had no idea what to do. So he was looking for some kind of direction. You know what I mean? And that bought me enough time to approach that crate and let him out. And I never had to do it again. And I was thrilled. I was, I was really happy. So the whole purpose of that story, guys, is I wish people would understand when the dogs truly understand the stimulation, when they get it, there's so many things we could do with it to benefit the dog's life and to benefit our training. But people are too quick to jump in to kick the dog's ass. And I wish people would really think about that a little bit, you know? I love, I've read that story before, and it, it's amazing. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we're going to um, um, – veer away from the e-collar we're going to talk some behavior we're going to bridge the gap between um pet dogs and working dogs and how how similar uh some of the behavior problems are uh on both sides of the house we'll be right back all right guys uh we just got word everybody did that the hits conference was canceled unfortunately due to all this stuff um you know they they thought they could get it going and everything but 
with everybody being afraid to travel, a police department's not wanting to send guys. They really want it to be, you know, a thousand people there like they do, thousand plus. It is truly the best seminar in the country. You can't miss out. But Ted, it's not canceled totally, correct? No, nah, they're moving it to uh, July 6th through the 9th in Scottsdale, Arizona uh, in 2021. So um, all the instructors are going to be the same. All the vendors are going to be the same. We're just moving it to July 6th through the 9th in 2021. In the meantime, though, um, the boys over there have started another podcast. Um, it's been going for a while. So if you can't, since we're not going to be able to go to hits in 2020, head over and look them up for um, Hits K9 Radio. They just um, have some really, really good podcasts up. Um, they're a little shorter than ours, and they're still giving out good information just like we are, which is the whole point of the entire process that we're going on here and over there and the entire point of Hits K9 in general. So unfortunately, uh, 2020 is off, but we will see everybody July 6th through the 9th in Scottsdale, Arizona, 2021. And Ray Allen Canine Manufacturing. It's no secret that we love Ray Allen Canine Equipment. We use their products every single day. Their mission statement says it all, to be a world leader in quality and innovation of professional canine equipment for police, military, Schutzen, and ring sport to exceed our customers' expectations and delivery on time, every time, at a fair price. We full-heartedly believe They've held true to that since it is our go-to one-stop shop for everything dog. One of the longtime sponsors of Working Dog Radio from the beginning has been Highland Canine in North Carolina. Tactical Police Canine, a.k.a. Highland Canine in North Carolina, offers training, seminars, and consulting globally for police, military, and non-government agencies. They provide customized training programs to address specific problems and meet the needs of your organization. Check out their wide array of handler courses, instructor courses, supervisor courses, and online courses at tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. Uh, Jason and Aaron Ferguson are two of our most favorite people, and they have been with us since the beginning, so hit them up. We get it. Fueling a working dog can be tough, but they need that high-quality food to give them the energy and nutrients that they require for the work we ask them to do. Kinetic Dog Food has a great balance of healthy meats and grains and is made specifically for working and sporting dogs. They have a full line of foods and supplements available, and they've been working to perfect their line with thousands of dogs in hundreds of departments across the U.S., and you can buy it locally, online, or at Tractor Supply. Okay. Another one of our favorite partnerships is with the one and only Dogtra. These guys are producing some amazing tools in the dog training world. Everything from e-collars, GPS tracking, ball training, bark collars. If it's electronic, Dogtra is the best. They are truly revolutionizing the way you communicate with your dog. Plus, they give us a great discount code. Go to Dogtra.com. Everybody hears me say all the time, you can't teach dogs to bite people and act shocked when they do. Inevitably, I get bit. You've all heard me talk about how I get tagged and being tagged by a dog sucks. So I've used quick term uh, to help myself. Uh, but before I had to go to the doctor's office, uh, it, it definitely helped keep down infection and everything else. And I've had some uh, non-scarring because of it too. So it's pretty good, but it's no exaggeration. The stuff is great. Once daily treatment for any skin condition on small wounds to help stop little issues from becoming big ones that your admins are sure to love. 
It comes in a spray, it comes in an ointment, it comes in a dressing. Quickterm is great at creating protective barrier and promoting wound healing. There's no reason not to have a bottle of this in the patrol car or your kennel or your first aid cabinet. Plus it's, it's uh, temperature stable. So you can keep it in the patrol car when it's cold, when it's hot, whenever, and it'll still be good. Make sure you hit them up at vetcare.us and use the discount code 10WDR for a discount on your first purchase, which is going to be 10%. Have you ever dreamed of having your own kennel, but don't know where to start? Horizon Structures has taken all of the guesswork out of building a kennel. Everything is pre-built to your specifications and preferences, and then assembled and dropped off at your land. Boom, new kennels. And these things are amazing. You've got to see them to truly believe them. Their website, horizonstructures.com, is a one-stop shop. Build your best kennel, your favorite things you want. Check it out, horizonstructures.com. All right, everybody, we are back, Working Dog Radio. Uh, Thank you for listening to the commercials. If you fast-forward through them, like I know you did, uh, go back and please check out our sponsor. we got great sponsors. Um, We have new information in there on the HITS conference. Um, We have discount codes, some amazing stuff in there. Plus, if you missed it, at the bottom of the – in the show notes here – all the sponsors and the discount codes are list, listed in there, but we really appreciate you uh, taking care of our folks. Um, so we're, we're with Larry Crone, well-known uh, dog trainer all around the world, travels all around the world, giving seminars on dog behavior and e-collar and everything else. Um, real quick, before we go off onto behavior, Larry, I forgot to ask you. So <clears throat> there's, a, there's a saying out there, and it's been attributed to you, I believe, and maybe you did say it, and and – it's that you don't teach anything with the e-collar. When we talk about people teaching, oh, I taught my dog with the e-collar to do this and that. And you're, it's been attributed to you because, dude, if somebody puts in, a, in an online forum, uh, what do you teach your dog with the e-collar? 900 people will post in there. You don't teach anything with an e-collar. Ask Larry. He'll tell you. Um, is that your yeah, mantra? Yeah. Did you say that? Is that where that came from? Yes, yes, sir. Absolutely. I, I teach nothing with the e-collar. I teach everything through positive reinforcement, maybe some very even little. I, I want to say negative reinforcement because someone said one time, well, you have that dog on a leash teaching the recall. That's negative reinforcement. I don't get into semantics too much, but any behavior I teach, I teach with food, you know, and, and, and that's it. Um, my own dogs very rarely have an e-collar on, very rarely, you know. If I'm going out in public and they're going to be off leash, do I know they'll listen to me every time without the e-collar? Absolutely. No doubt about it. But I'm always going to have that safety net on there for that what-if moment. So I teach everything. Most of my own dogs, by the time they're four months old, know everything that they need to know. You know, all the basics and very well. And then as far as adding the e-collar to my own dogs, it depends on the age. But I definitely like to wait. You know, it's not something I jump into real real quick. Um, I mean, when you got a young dog, man, they're an open canvas, spend the time building that relationship. I use a lot of play and I use a lot of food in the beginning to teach the behaviors. And the only time the e-collar goes on is not even to reinforce the behaviors the dog knows, because like I said er earlier, my whole focus is on teaching the dog the meaning understanding what that stimulation means. So there's no confusion there. 
Okay. So can I use the e-collar to make things better, faster, and sharper? Absolutely. hundred percent. Can you use e-collars to stop unwanted behaviors when the dog understands it? Oh, you'd be blown away how quick you can stop unwanted behaviors. But a lot of people just jump on without clarity for the dog. And, and to me, that's just unfair. You know, I want the dog to know exactly if I do have to correct it for something, I want the dog to understand why, because when the dog understands why, it makes things much better. The dog's never going to be down in the dumps. There's never going to be any suspicious behaviors associated with it. The dog gets it, you know, and that's for my clients. You know, the majority of my clients are everyday pet owners. My average dog owner client has to understand that very, very clearly because that's where the results come from. You know, uh, you know, I just sent the dog home. It was a hunting dog, Gordon Setter, that if that dog gets loose, it's gone. It's, it's, it's gone, you know, and they already lost one dog got hit by a car. And so can we teach that dog to come to us under all circumstances without an e-collar? Yeah, probably, but it's going to take a while. Can the average dog owner keep that going? No, absolutely not. But when you teach the average dog owner and you give them that power, when they understand it, it does incredible things. I mean, does absolutely it. What it does is it takes that pet dog, and it gives them a life of freedom that they would not otherwise have. And their owners love that. They love that, you know, and that's, that's really what keeps me busy. Honestly, Ted Knight, we've talked about this with other, with other guys on here too. And it's been a, it's been a change in uh, my f- training style and um, a lot, a lot of others, but not enough. Um, so there's still a huge prevailing thought process in the, in the police canine world, uh, that food is bullshit. You shouldn't use food for police dogs. This ain't no golden doodle. This is a Dutch shepherd. We don't use food. Talk, talk to people about what they're missing. I mean, you know, I mean the problems with that kind of mentality. I, I used to think the same way guys. I really did. You know, um, I trained dogs for years without e-collars, without food. But I'm smart enough to know when I started seeing people better than me using food, when I saw Bart starting to use food, Michael Ellis using food, I am not that arrogant to think that I am on their level and I saw what their dogs look like. So I started using food the day I saw those guys using food. And I could tell you, someone who's done it both ways, there's no comparison. There's no comparison to teach behaviors. doesn't mean I walk around with food, you know, treating my dogs all the time, but I use a lot of food to teach new behaviors and it's cake. Dogs are motivated to eat. They live through their belly, especially if they're a little hungry. And so I, I know guys, I deal, like I said, a lot of police canine handlers where the food's beneath them, but you know, it's plain and simple. If you're not using everything that's available to you to make the dog better, you're not getting the best possible results. You know, you're, you're, you're just not getting it, you know? And then I, you know, I hear some of these guys say, you know, I got a real high drive dog. You've never seen a dog like this. And then I work with the dog <laughs> or I take a bite from him, and I say, okay, no, that's, that's cool. He's pretty good. And then, you know, I don't do it anymore because he can't do that, but I'll give him the sleeve and I'll, I'll let him take a bite from Luca, my Malinois, who's 55 pounds. And I watch their face when that dog hits them, and it's priceless. It's priceless. And they all say the same thing, like, holy shit. 
Like, where does that dog get that from? You know where that dog gets that from? For one, he's a well-bred dog. He's got great genetics, so I can't take all the, the, the credit for that. I just took a great dog and didn't screw him up. But that dog didn't see an e-collar until he was 9 or 10 months old and had nothing to do with training. He already knew everything he had to do, you know? We made our first video when he was 9 weeks old. That relationship between me and my dogs, or my kids and my dogs, it's strong. It's really strong. And that's why my daughter can go outside on her own and work with either one of my Malinois, and they work for her the same they do for me. No e-collars, no nothing. They just love the relationship. And when the dog loves the relationship, it's going to give you 110% every single time. You know, and, and I've been there. I know. But I'm telling you, folks, if you're not using food in your training program, it could be better. I promise you. It's an interesting point. <clears throat> we have a dog right now um, at the kennel. It's a duchy um, that's from some very well-known lines. Um, the dog genetically is fantastic, does not lack drive. In fact, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, he has a little too much. Um, and he's one of those dogs <laughs> that can easily get spun up. And when he gets spun up, weird shit happens. So we've been doing a ton of capping with him and we've been using food for capping because he's not, I mean, you know, he's got to eat, but I mean, he's, uh, you get a ball out. Well, now we're kind of progressing into that, but if you get a, when we first got him, if you got a ball out, that motherfucker would destroy everything to get to the ball, to get to the decoy. I mean, right. I, I mean, just to establish some fucking control, we started doing back tie work with food. And now we've got some pretty sharp obedience. We've got we've got control. We've got capping built in at a lower drive state. And you know, you talk about you know starting uh, one of the strongest patrol dogs we ever produced um, isn't look close to me, and he was bred here. And we bred him and raised him. I raised helped raise him. And um, from a very early age, I taught that dog how to interact with people, um, mainly his handler. And um, the dog has well over 20 bites um, in a fairly small department. It's a single dog department. And the handler will send me videos of his 10-year-old son doing the USPCA obedience routine off-leash with that dog. And this dog is a street sweeper. And I'm like, God bless handler name. Like, you like don't. Like, that dog has hurt people bad. And you're letting him play with your kids. He's like, oh, he's great. I'm like, man, <laughs> I don't trust him. And he spent six months in my house. <laughs> or at least now That's I don't. Awesome. But I mean, yeah, so... That's a huge thing. When we get dogs in from Europe, I can always tell, like, how they were raised. Because um, a lot of them, like, the first time you let them in the house, they freak the fuck out. And they're like, holy shit, what is this giant kennel I'm in? Um, and there are some that are cool about it. They're like, oh, whatever, yeah. it's, a cat. it's a house. So it's always interesting to see because you can kind of tell the way that their foundation was and, like, how they have been taught to interact with human beings and all that kind of stuff. So interesting for sure. Yeah. I did a, vi I did a video years ago with, with Luca when he was young. Um, teaching him how to get on the bumper of my little Nissan Frontier. You know, real small bumper, you have to really think and balance. And I showed him how he responds to that with food, you know, and it went well. Then I said, okay, now I'm going to show you if I try to teach this with the ball. And I took out the ball, try and teach it. I couldn't teach that dog anything with the ball. He's falling all over the place, you know. So a lot of our working dogs that have good food drive, it's not so over the top to where they can't function and learn something new, you know. But then once they know the behavior very well, I get away from food very fast. And then we go to the toy or the bite, whatever the dog likes. And to me, it just works out much better, and it's much clearer for the dog that way. Oh, yeah. Rather than 
putting yourself in a position where, well, in this dog case I was just talking about where they're going to bite me. <laughs> or, and he's the type of dog that if yeah. he gets frustrated and he's like that spun up and I pop him, he's going to bite me. So, like, oh, and yeah. Yeah. neither Travis or I have been bit yet. So, it's come a couple times where he's gotten kind of nippy. But, you know, and uh, when he got dropped off here, he bit the transporter when we got him out of the kennel. So, I was like, yeah, okay. I, I immediately see what's going on. I, I can see what's going on here. So, yeah. Uh, it's been, uh, he's going to be, a, yeah. he's going to be a fantastic dog though, for sure. Okay. Now listen, Larry, keep in That's mind, great. Ted tells his, his guys over in Europe and his guys in the States <laughs> that are looking for dogs for him, find the dickhead dog that no one likes and I'll take him. So <laughs> go to, he, he go, to the KMB, <laughs> go to the KMPV club and be like, whose dog does everybody hate? And everyone there points at one asshole. They're like, that dog's super nice, but his dog is that dog's yeah. a dick. Right, and the handler's like, "Thank God, I thought nobody would buy him." Yeah, and it's usually something stupid, like they'll bite you when you're out, or you know, they're just kind of assholes. But uh, I've gotten pretty good at not getting bit. <laughs> I got bit a yeah. lot, but I had to learn how. But I mean, you know, some of those dogs, some of the nicest patrol dogs we've ever produced have been dogs like that. And we had one that had an IPO one, um, and I know why they sold him. When he came in, I was like, "Why the fuck they sell us this dog? He's badass. He's titled, sure as shit. He went, he wanted to be a patrol dog. He did not want to be an IPO dog. Uh, apparently, it took him three times to <laughs> get his great. one because he tried to bite the judge during tracking and during obedience. So <laughs> I was like, "Damn, all right, cool." And I didn't find this out till after the fact because he he lit us up, man. Uh, went on to be a very successful dog. He's passed away. Yeah, you never he, do. That, well, I mean. I found out the hard way, and he was a huge dog too, big ass German Shepherd. But um, yeah, he's a uh, he was he was he was definitely not a not one. He did not like people. Um, he tolerated his <laughs> handler. <laughs> he yeah, tolerated him. Great. All right, love it. So well, let's bridge the gap here real quick on uh, between the the pets and the police dogs. Um, I'll just pick one behavioral issue because we could go through a whole bunch and be here for three hours. Um, sure. So when I, when I first got into canine and everybody in here listening will relate and uh, Ted and I talked about this earlier too. So there's in every training group, there are a few dogs that they come out of the car and they're just launching at the end of the leash, right? At everybody. Um, they're the dog that they're just walking through the building headed to do detection and everybody's like, oh, here comes uh, so-and-so. Get the, and everybody's getting the fuck out of the way. That dog's crazy. He's mean and nasty. Meanwhile, he has like zero street bites. Um, so, you know, he's he's actually not even proven in that, in that regard. Um, he goes off on every car that goes by, motorcycle, people, dogs. This is a dog that, you know, break glass and just get him out for that. Um, but, and, the, and there's, if there's pet dogs listening, owners, they're like, yeah, my fucking uh, whatever dog is doing the same thing. It's chihuahuas. Talk about, it's always um, chihuahuas. Yeah. Talk about <laughs> that leash reactivity and bridging the gap between pets and, and police dogs and how, what, what leash reactivity, even in a police dog, actually is and what those handlers, those police working dog handlers, could be doing at home or at work to to uh, change some of that behavior. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, for a long time, that was almost all I did. Uh, that's what people thought I specialized in. I didn't. 
you know, and I don't consider myself an expert in anything. I'm a student. I'm definitely a lifelong student. One of the things that I preach to the pet dog world, the trainers out there, and I've been saying it for years, I think it's a really big mistake in the pet dog world that more pet dog trainers don't study working dog stuff. Don't train with working dog trainers. You know, I always ask these young trainers that I help or talk to, well, who are you following? What trainers do you follow? Or, you know, what seminars do you go to? And when they tell me who they go to and all these great working dog people that are out there doing this stuff and they're not, I ask them why, you know, don't you understand how vital this is? If you can understand the complexity of a very highly driven, difficult working dog, it makes pet dog stuff so easy so simple. You know what I mean? But then on the other hand, when I work with a lot of working dog trainers and the dogs are out of control, to me, if you're going to some kind of working dog event, whether it's a trial or anything, if your dog is spinning in the crate and barking for eight hours straight, I find that to be a problem. You know, that, that, that's an issue. And people always want to, you talked about reactivity. Okay. When a dog comes here from reactivity, to me, I don't try to address the reactivity. That's just a symptom of the problem. So in other words, I don't put that dog in the situation to be reactive. Now, when I put the dog away where it's going to stay and my dogs first come out, they may go crazy a little bit. But when my dogs don't react and then I leave my dogs out there with them while that dog's in a pen, very quickly they settle in. All right. And so I'll spend at least a week, if not more, building the foundation on that dog, getting that dog to trust me, having a relationship with that dog, because I want to be able to tell that dog at my home or wherever is training, Hey, knock the shit off. That's not important. You know, I'm what's important. And I want the dog to be like, Oh, okay, I get it. And so by time I actually introduced that dog to something that it used to freak out about, say a dog walking by away from the home, one of two things happened. Either the reactivity just isn't there anymore or it is so minor that when you give the dog a little leash pop or a tap on the e-collar or just tell him knock the shit off, the dog gets it because you have that communication system there. You know What happens with most of these dogs, in my opinion anyway, or at least what I've seen over the years, dogs in the home don't get treated like dogs. And what I mean by that is my dogs live a very good life. They have free reign of my house. I don't have to worry about coming home to them getting in the garbage or knocking something down or chewing my cat. They don't do that. But I bust my ass the first two years of that dog's life to teach him how to be a self-sufficient individual in our home. And what a lot of pet dog people do is the dog gets everything for free. I see dogs here that are free fed. The food's left out 24 hours a day. They have toys laying all over the house. The dog sleeps in the bed. He lays on the couch. He has access to everything. He doesn't have to ask permission for nothing. And so then when you go out and that dog sees something it wants, and now all of a sudden it can't get to something it wants, it builds a lot of frustration. And what most of those dogs do if they're off leash is they do nothing. It's just frustration that they can't get to what they want. you know. But when a dog comes here with issues like that, whether it's human aggression or dog aggression, no matter how bad that dog is, when I first start going out where I keep the dogs, they may be standoffish, they may be scared, they may be aggressive, but guess what? Eventually, every dog needs someone. Every dog needs someone. 
So I need to be the person for that dog. And eventually, by day or three or four, if it hasn't happened already, now when I go out there, the ass is wiggling and it's going because I take everything away from that dog. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that I don't even open the dog's pen and let him run in my yard that's fenced in. No, no, no. The dog's going on a leash. And then I'm going to take him where I want him to go to the bathroom. But as I walk across my driveway and I wait, until the dog sits and looks up at me with some kind of respect or calming signal, then I say free dog, which that's going to be the dog's release command. Now you're allowed to go pee, sniff, and poop and do all that stuff, okay? And when I decide you had enough, now it's back to me. But I'm in control of everything. So someone asked me a question the other day, just the other, like two days ago. So said, Larry, how much freedom do your board trains get? And I didn't know how to answer that because I don't know what they mean by freedom. The dog gets plenty of freedom, but it all comes through me with my assistance while I'm there. You know what I mean? And if that dog turns out real well and comes around real strong and we have that relationship and the dog listens to what I say, then by the end, if I could trust him, I'll let him play with one of my dogs. You know, but up until that point, he gets nothing unless it comes from me when we're training or he's with me. And that alone normally completely gets rid of that leash reactivity or aggression or whatever it is. But again, that's just the symptom. So when people, when trainers want to take a dog out on a walk, find a dog. And when the dog acts up, nail him with a prong collar or light him up with an e-collar, you're never going to fix the dog. You're, you're in, in the 25 years that I'm doing this. I've never seen a dog truly fixed by doing that. He may stop that behavior temporarily. Okay. But you're not changing the mindset. He's, it's still there. He still wants to do it. He's just holding off under your care because he doesn't want to feel the discomfort or the pain. You know, I deal, I've dealt with clients that have no dog training ability whatsoever, but they have two dogs within the same home that are killing each other anytime they can get to each other. And I've literally had clients turn that completely around and go for years without the dogs ever fighting. It's not because of down, sit, come in place and walking nice on a leash. It's because of what I had those people do inside the home to take control of everything. You know, I have intact dogs. I have males. I have a female. I've never had a dog fight in my house in my whole life. Rottweilers, German Shepherds, Malinois. I have never had a dog fight in my house, even when there's a female in heat. Because those dogs understand they don't control everything. I do. My wife does. My kids do. So it's those little tiny things. And one of the examples I always use, and I know it's probably getting old to people, but my son was two years old. If my German shepherd was blocking the doorway or my Rottweiler was blocking the doorway to the kitchen, he's not allowed to step over that dog. At two years old, he knew that he'd have to tell that dog to go. And the dog would get up and, you know, a big huff and walk away. And my little guy would say, thank you, Bear. Thank you, Bruno. But that's very powerful in the dog's eye. You know, if not, that's that dog's space. Now you are just moving around that dog and respecting his space. And we can't do that because that thing sends very mixed signals to the dog. And the dog has to understand, I love you. I respect you. We're a team. But I am the captain of that team. Make no mistake about it, you know. And they always look to you when they go to do something stupid like that. Always. Because they trust you. They trust how you're going to react. Make sense? A hundred percent. At the canine training day when they see dogs do that and, and we just think they're or guys think they're just aggressive assholes um what what would you suggest so let's 
break it down for the canine handler, the police canine handler, what they should be doing differently based on what you were just talking about. Um, but, you know, these these are guys that have a trainer and admin they probably have to answer to, too. But there are things that they can change, um, whether they believe it or not. Because I'm telling you, if that if you're the handler of that dog, five, six, seven, eight years, that sucks. It sucks that every single yeah, time absolutely. that dog is on leash, you're just getting pulled and ripped all over the place. And and it's actually not really true aggression. Um, but but give, right. give the guys some a couple tips, like specific tips that they should be doing at home. Maybe I, I've mentioned before that guys had a reactive dog and he's in a 10 by 20 kennel. Um, you know, and I talked about changing the, the size of his space and things like that. If you want to get into some of that, I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I talk to a lot of those folks. I work with a lot of those guys. I see them at work when we do stuff with the locals or the state police. And I think what it comes down to is they have to expect more. And a lot of these guys, I don't want to say it's a macho thing, but a lot of times they think their dog just has so much. That's how it's supposed to be. And it's not supposed to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. So as much as I push the pet dog people, to go work with some phenomenal working dog people, learn that side of it. Unfortunately, in 2020, there's still so many myths out there when you're dealing with working dogs that you can't stop them from doing this. You can't stop them from doing that because it'll crush the dog. It will ruin the drive. I'm telling you, it won't. It won't. I promise you. What you're doing by taking more control from that dog and not allowing him to exhibit those behaviors is having more control out in the field, much more control, you know, but if that dog's not looking to you when it's at your home or around the home or in the kennel, wherever you keep it, if you can't control those behaviors without the excitement of lights and sirens or going after someone and laying on a bike, there's no way in hell you can control it in the real situation, you know? And in my opinion, anyway, I've never seen control hurt anyone i just i've never seen it and i'm talking about on the canine side of things and i think sometimes we kind of overlook the obedience and uh you know the attentiveness of the dog and try to exploit how strong the dog is the dog could still be very strong but i also want him to be clear-headed but if you're allowing all those little things that i just mentioned that people do in the pet dog world you know, and, and let's face it, a lot of dogs live in kennels and they go from the outdoor kennel to the police car. It's total adrenaline constantly. There's no in between, you know, and, and I think it was uh, I think it was Michael Ellis that talked about it years ago because I've seen the same thing when a, when a handler is given a new dog and they go right out into the field and go to work. If you ever look at the stats on how many of those new handlers are bit by their new dog, it's astronomical. It's astronomical, you know, but where that changed was, I am almost positive. It was Michael Ellis who talked about these stats when their change was when they gave the dog to those handlers and for two weeks, didn't let the dog go to work. And they lived with that guy's family and they just played with the dog and they built that relationship a little bit. Those number of bites just completely dropped off the chart. Like it was a major, major difference because enough Canine handlers, they're not focusing on that relationship and that control within the home before they get to those tough situations. They just want that macho dog, you know. Um, 
when I train my own dogs, I'm talking about the Malinois, the, the high-drive dogs, I kind of think of everything. I kind of train them in a way that if I had to teach them, if we were going on a, a, a canine show, you know, like the show that just came on not too long ago, with Top Dog, right? I love Top Dog. I love watching yeah, that right. kind of stuff. I'm a dog nerd. I'm a dog fan. I mean, I, I love this stuff. But when I watched a lot of those canine guys, they had some beautiful dogs and they had good teams, but I was blown away on how those dogs weren't able to adjust some of them. You know, they had some phenomenal teams that did, but the dogs that really struggled and weren't able to adjust, you should be able to show your dog something a little different if it's not so outlandish on the fly and your dog's going to be paying attention and be able to learn on the fly. And I think when you can't do that, I think there's too much missed in the training. And I think the simple things, the basics. And so when people ask me for advanced obedience, I just laugh. I say, what is advanced obedience? Because to me, it's just the basics done really, really well in all situations. You know, because if you can nail that, how much more advanced do you need? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. So I've had people comment on some of the videos I've made with Luca, my old Malinois, and they say, that was ridiculous. Like, I can't, that's unbelievable. And I said, okay, now tell me what's unbelievable about it. Show me one complicated behavior that my dog did in that whole video. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, he didn't do any complicated behaviors. Down, sit, come, leave it, drop, heel, all basic commands. But I just use it in different exercises to keep the dog sharp and keep the dog understanding how to listen to what I'm telling him. Does that make sense? That's it. And I don't think enough people are doing things like that, pushing the dogs a little bit on the behavior side and the obedience side. But to me, a good dog is 80% behavior and 20% obedience. And, and that's kind of how I train every single client I deal with. Sorry, I think that was some long. people's definition. That's okay. That's perfect. I think uh, some people's definition of advanced obedience is basic obedience and some tricks. And they think that the dog walking backwards right. completely around the handler through his legs and everything is advanced obedience. That's a trick, in my opinion. Um, the basic obedience right, of everything right. else he does, the guy's just good at it. Um, so I want to – actually, I'm going to throw something over to Ted real quick. So when we talk about dogs coming out, like you talk about dogs that come out of the car and they're so spun up because they're all adrenaline all the time, Ted will mention from time to time in some of the episodes about capping, right, uh, capping a dog. Ted – Talk, do me a favor, because people ask all the time about it. Explain what you mean when you say that. So, you know, we're constantly sure. riding that line um, on double-edged swords with these dogs, right? We want these dogs to be outside their, well, people think they want these dogs to be outside their mind with drive. And then you get a dog that tends to be very reactive because then everything starts to cap, like set them off. So... Um, you know, Larry just mentioned, you know, we need a dog that's clear headed. So I have to teach them some kind of self restraint exercises and so that we can control them. And I do it with obedience in time. Um, basically, you know, for it to work and, you know, Bradshaw wrote a really good article about this. Um, but I can't remember where it was published. I'll have to look it up. Uh, but it's basically like trying to put the genie back in a bottle. And I start out with like very low drive and very low, very easy obedience exercises so that I can use those down the line when we start getting chaotic. And like, if it starts getting weird or if there's stuff going on and I tell the dog to down, he knows that he can just down and just stay there and everything will be fine. 
um, not because I'm going to correct him, but just because everything starts from kind of like a default position, whether it be heel or down or whatever. So capping is like a thing over time with successive approximation that the dog learns that if he sits there, so it's almost kind of like the water is simmering, not boiling. And they learn to kind of like internalize some of the drive rather than just exploding into fucking confetti and biting everybody and everything in the room. And it just turns into a shit show. But yeah. So Larry, how do you, would you yeah, describe yeah. capping with some of the police? Cause we get that a lot. I've in fact, on Patreon, we get that. It seems in the private messages a couple of times a month. Um, and I always send him that Bradshaw article cause it was extremely well written, but yeah. Yeah. Same way. I think it's huge. It's a tremendous benefit and it has to be done. So when I fire up a working dog, okay, one of the things I start adding very quickly when a dog loves to bite, whether it's a, a tug, a pillow or a sleeve, you know, I'm going to use the obedience in there, but I want the dog fired up, but I want to be able to drop him to a down. I want people to drop him to a heel, give him the bite out him, drop him to a down. I want the dog to pay attention to the obedience and actually follow instructions when it's at the highest level of arousal. Okay. We, we do a fun thing out here. We, you know, we have rabbits all around my house. I want to be able to send either one of my Malinois after the rabbit, go get it. And they go like a bat out of hell. And then I just say, leave it or come or down. And they're going to drop every time. No tools, no nothing. That's really important training, but not just on the police dog side, guys, um, not on the police dogs only. When I get a client here with a pet dog, the first thing I do, my first meeting with them, well, not just the first meeting, every meeting, but I want to know when they're getting here because I watch them exit their vehicle with their dog. And within 10, <laughs> 15 seconds, I know the whole story already. I know it. I already know the story of this relationship. And 99.9% .9 of those people, the dog comes flying out of the car, goes to the end of the leash, the nose goes to the ground and the people are following the dog and the dog is smelling where all of my dogs pee and poop and all that stuff. And then I tell them, now put the dog back in the car. And I don't even introduce myself, nothing. Put the dog back in the car and I explain to them what I want you to do. Because that's where it starts. We can't start working your dog when your dog comes out like a bull and just tells you where to go. So that's the first lesson. You have to be in control of your dog and your dog gets to go pee and sniff and poop when you release it and you tell it to. So it kind of all goes in a way that's capping also to me because these people are so used to letting their dogs get all worked up and they just follow the dogs. I mean, in the pet dog world, and you guys have probably seen this, the people have a problem and I'll ask a really simple question. Say, well, what have you done to stop it? Most of the times they say, well, nothing. Or I told them not to. Well, that's, that's not going <laughs> to cut it. You know what I mean? It's just not going to cut it. And so I think on both sides, the working dog side and especially the pet dog side, we're not giving the dog benefit of the doubt on how brilliant it can be. You know, the dog can really take in a lot of information if we send it in a way that it understands it. But there's a lot of inconsistency there in the communication that we as humans do to the dog and we make things very cloudy and then we blame the dog when they screw up, you know? And so when I'm working with a dog, working dog, pet dog, I want to see the mistakes. I allow the dog to make mistakes. I never want the dog to be scared to make mistakes. And then I don't physically punish that dog for the mistake. I put the dog back to what we want and I show him again. And I'll let him fail 10 times. But guess what? And that 11th time when the dog starts to make a failure again, it may catch itself 
and give you what it wants, then you know you're golden. The dog gets it. But I think people are just really unclear on what they want out of the animal, and it's just not fair to the animal, you know. I'm not a purely positive trainer, not even close, but I use very little corrections in training working dogs and pet dogs because I think if the communication is very clear, most of the times you don't need too much. You know, you just don't need too much. And, 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 that, and that's just me, you know. That's just me. I make, I make more mistakes than most. Believe me when I tell you. I have 500 and something videos on YouTube. If you watched all 500 and something videos, there's not a video I've ever made where I don't make a ton of mistakes. There, there's just not. That's not the way I am. You know, I make plenty of mistakes, and then I try to make it better the next time I do it. You know, one thing that Eric and I see a lot um, at HRDs, and in general, in the police world, um, everybody tries to do too much too fast. Some of that is on yeah. um, admins in this compressed timeline where, you know, they want a seven-day handler school. I'm like, what the fuck? So, you know, I, I one of the biggest lessons I ever learned from my mentor, who is the other owner at uh, one of the other owners at Torchlight, is just wait. Just fucking wait. And I used to get eaten up Love by it. dogs all the time for fucking trying to force them to do stuff, either through leash manipulation or with a collar, with an e-collar, um, which is pressure, 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 pressure. Dogs are either shut down or they fucking yeah. bite me. Um, so I think Daryl Gaunt asked me the other day, or somebody said something, and uh, I, my comment was basically like, I've gotten really good at not getting smoked by these dogs. Um, I usually average one good bite a year. Uh, that was uh, that's accidental and um where i'm handling now i've been accident i get bit all the time accidentally when we're doing bite work or whatever which i mean shit happens but um you know if i get frustrated and the dog doesn't understand if it's clear he doesn't understand what i'm asking him to do in the context of what's going on i won't correct him because he doesn't understand and uh there's one dog in particular right, that right. taught me this um his name's ace and uh, he is on an Arkansas. He was on an Arkansas. He was on a department in Arkansas. And that motherfucker, if he didn't understand while he was being corrected, he would bite you, no matter how hmm. how minor the correction was. I mean, you could tell him to sit, and if he didn't hear you, he would bite you. Like if you just corrected him out of no, like if he didn't hear you say something, and you're like, you know, so he would bite you, and he would bite you for real, and it sucked. Um, so I learned real quick one, I had to make sure he heard me, and two. Uh, that he had to understand what was being asked of him in context. So I typically find myself getting frustrated, or not anymore, but I used to find myself getting frustrated with police dogs because they wouldn't do this or they wouldn't do that. And my partner, who's a Scott, a fucking, he's just like Mr. Zen now or whatever, but he would be like, well, he doesn't understand because you didn't teach him. I'm like, the fuck, I didn't. He did it in there. It's like, I taught him. He, sh he should know. Like, And he's like, no, it didn't work like that. I'm like, the fuck, it doesn't. He's right, as usual. So he's like, well, he doesn't understand, obviously, or he would do it. And, you know, and now, fast forward for a long fucking time, it makes sense. Like, clearly, he doesn't understand. So usually what I do is I put him up, I go get a beer, and then I sit there and I think about where I fucked it up. And I'll, I have a dry erase board in my office, and I'll just draw the entire behavior chain out and be like, okay, this is what he doesn't understand. And I'll go back and work on that, and then I don't get bit. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my... That, man, I love what you said about time, because I, that is so true. You know, I think time's one of our most valuable training tools, and not everyone utilizes it. Um, I don't force the down. If a dog won't go down with a lure or very light pressure, I back off. I just back off and I don't do it. 
that dog is telling me it is not comfortable going into that position at that time. But I guarantee you this, and this is one of the things I'm contacted most from trainers all over the world. I say, man, I did that, and you're 100% right. I'll go back to it a week or two weeks later after we built that relationship. That dog, that down will become the dog's strongest position every time. It really will. Um, I just showed it in a video with a, a beautiful black shepherd I had here not long ago named Patton. Uh, that dog would not go down when he got here. You know, I mean, not a chance, not with a lure, not with pressure, nothing. So I backed off. But then I showed people along the way the whole thing. I'm not going to do nothing. That down became that dog's strongest position, as it usually does. And to be honest with you, my last two dogs, Mango, my female Malinois, and Halo, the German Shepherd we trained for the Wooden Soldier, both of those dogs were the same way. And my... 13-year-old daughter at the time, 11-year-old daughter, is the one who taught them the down, you know, because she enjoys that kind of challenge. But I don't push it. I give the dogs time. And I've done experiments here at my place, guys, with dogs with aggression issues, like really shitty dogs, where I've taken them into a boarding train, and I did no training with them, zero. I didn't charge the client. I told them I was going to try something. And after a few weeks of a boarding train with no obedience, the most, the furthest extent of training we did was going on a structured walk. 100% of those dogs over a six-month period or how long I did it completely changed and got over the aggression. No obedience, no nothing. I just gave those time, those dogs enough time out of a situation where most people are implementing bad habits inside the home, and we took those bad habits away. And over time, those dogs just let go of all those issues. And so, man, I love that you said that because that's really great advice from whoever told you that. Like, really great advice. Time yeah, he, is very, very beneficial to he's us. He's my mentor. Side. He's my mentor and our partner at Torchlight. He's an old grumpy ass Green Beret. That's awesome. Old, love old, it. Old uh, SWAT guy, and yeah, in his old age, he's become patient. Of course, his old ass doesn't get eaten up either, and he'll handle every. I mean, he'll handle every <laughs> buzzsaw we have, and he's just like Mister Fucking Zen all the time. He's like, he ain't gonna bite you. I'm like, fuck, he's not. Look at him. And even now, and I deal with, we deal with <laughs> like Eric mentioned earlier. Like we have a knack for getting shitheads, and I've gotten pretty. And Scott is magnificent in not getting bit. I'm pretty good about not getting bit. Uh, not as good as he is, but I mean, you know, he's Mr. Zen all the time and he's like, Oh, he's not going to bite me. And they don't. And I'm like, okay, Mr. Miyagi, like what? <laughs> well, like, I, I don't know That's if it's awesome. like his energy or what, but uh, he's trying with some ass eaters. Like Eric, how many dogs have you and I both gotten from other vendors where they've gone through a school, they've done this and they fuck people up and bite people and they turn out to be awesome patrol dogs. <laughs> yeah. You just got to wait for a little bit. I mean, they're real. <laughs> Yeah, they're real police dogs, but we'll get dogs from other vendors that, that tag trainers and tag the handlers, and it never happens to us. Never. Right. And Almost uh, every time the story it, is like, it, so how did, it, how did it happen? And they're like, oh, we were doing this, and we were doing a building search, and we kept popping him with a prong to stand it down. I'm like, oh, so you're loading him up, and then you keep popping him, and all of a sudden he unleashes, yeah. and it's like, fuck you. You're the first person that gets bit. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, he's dangerous. I'm like, no, you're stupid. So... And, you know, we'll take them and I'll just do, you know, I may add an extra two weeks on before we do delivery, but I mean, it ain't that big of a deal. So, but they don't bite me or, well, right, not right. really, but they try, but I heard, you know, I mean, they don't bite the handler. So, I mean, just wait, just fucking wait. <laughs> like, 
Scott always tells me, it, like he used to always say to me, he was like, why are you in such a hurry to get bit? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And <laughs> they would bite me inevitably. And I'm like, all right, fair enough. <laughs> well, I, I yeah, think, no, I just think that emotional connection to the animal guys is still overlooked greatly in this industry. And, and I never, I never underestimate the emotional side of the dog. I, I really don't. Cause I've, I've seen the animal do too many amazing things. Um, that go against maybe what science used to say, you know? And, and I think when you, you give the dog the respect and the time that it needs, I think amazing things happen. I really do. I, I honestly do. And, and, and that's just how I, you know, I've never tried to copy anyone, although there's tons of working dog trainers that I look up to and I still study. You know, I still, you know, I, I'm a member of Dave Croyer's, you know, um, school there that he has online i'm a huge fan of what dave does i'm a huge fan of what ivan does if ivan puts out a video i buy it you know everyone knows i've mentioned i bart is the one who changed my life in training that's who i consider my mentor so i study all these guys but i never try to copy them i just take the things that benefit me and my style and the way i train and just to make me better i'll never be them you know what i mean i'll never be to that level as far as I'm concerned, but I'm a student of the game and I love the animal. And I spend every waking day trying to learn something new. And uh, that's, that's what keeps me going. I just, listen, I just, I told my daughter tonight who really loves to train and does a great job. I said, hey, here's my password to Dave Pryor stuff. Go on there, look at some of the things you're interested in and do something on your own. So I don't even teach my daughter, like do it like this. I let her find her own way and I'll turn around to different trainers to look at and kind of just like what I do, learn little things here and there for some of the great people out there and make it your own, you know? And uh, man, the day I stop learning is the day I just pack it all in. It really is. Oh yeah. Yeah, so before we close, um, I've got two quick questions for you. Uh, one is, so when I was a kid, sure. I'm 50 now. So when I was a kid, Dobermans were the scariest dogs on the planet uh they you know the world yep. war ii german guard dogs and and majestic gorgeous and now every doberman almost every doberman that we get in for training is a disaster um through all yep. your time at training what what is the saddest breed that you've seen that used to be such an awesome dog and that we have just fucked them up Oh, not even close. I talk about this at nauseum, the German Shepherd. Not even close. Like, I, I grew up, um, I remember in the 70s, I'm 48 years old, so I remember the Dobermans being the killers. My family all had German Shepherds, and they were phenomenal dogs. And now I get, I can make a living out of just training German Shepherds. And very rarely do I get a well-bred one. Very, very rarely. I've gotten yeah. a few in, in the past few years. I'm grateful for that. But n not even close, guys. Like, you know, you're getting, you're getting bad breeding, tons of behavioral issues genetically, tons of health issues genetically, and then they're going into a home with everyday average pet dog owners that don't understand the concept of, you know, a dog that was bred to work has to do something and it's a disaster. So that's an easy question. And I talk about that often by far the German shepherd. Yeah. You know, and that's I the thing we get some, and it's so rare. In fact, I got two 
badass German Shepherds right now that just got to us. We got them from our buddy at uh, Dave at Blackrock um, Canine, uh, Britt and Kai, and they are gangster as shit. Super healthy, lots of drive, event stable environmentally. And I and because they're German Shepherds, like I'm looking for holes in them. I'm like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> what are you going to surprise me at the last yeah. minute? What are you going to fuck up at the last minute? And I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, so exactly. I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah, Eric had GSD exactly. day at Venice today, didn't you, Eric? <laughs> yeah, we at my doggy daycare that I have today. We had I, I don't know. I just put a picture up on the uh, on my story on Instagram on Vanis K Nine. We had ten, nine or ten of them today. It was pretty. It's it's funny because wow. It's, I don't know if, if it's the moon or what it is, but it's very cyclical. Where all the GSD clients that we have will bring all their dogs in. Um, they still make. They're still amazing to see. Um, but yeah, we see a lot of problems in those dogs. My one last question before we wrap up is so earlier, very early on in the first like 20 minutes, you were talking about, uh, the bird hunting and things. And you said hunting, is that the Jersey coming out of you? Or is that your Kentucky transplant? <laughs> cause, cause you corrected Listen, yourself. Here's and said, the problem Hunting. with this guy. <laughs> Yeah, here's here's the problem with this. I'm born and raised in Lodi, New Jersey, okay? Bergen County, New Jersey. Um, people down here, I've been here 20 years now, over 20 years in Kentucky. People down here still think I have a Jersey accent. They don't want to claim me. People back home think I have a redneck accent. They don't want to claim me. So I think there's a little confusion there, and I'm kind of stuck in the middle, and nobody <laughs> wants me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Hey, hey, it took me 20 that years to stop saying use guys around here. Use guys used to be part of my everyday, you know, vernacular. And now I've worked real hard not to say that to people here because they'd always look at you funny. You know, culture shock totally. It really is very, very different. Yeah, don't start don't start throwing y'alls out here. They'll think you're an imposter. Uh, they'll think you're from Oklahoma. Yeah. yeah. Everybody. Well, I don't. I mean, everyone's like, you're from Oklahoma. You don't sound like you're from Oklahoma. I'm like, yeah, I can't ride a horse either. So I don't know. I mean. <laughs> yeah, there you go. They'll accuse you of cultural appropriation for yeah. saying y'all. Well, yeah. <laughs> I tell my family I'm so, like a, a salamander. I can kind of blend into wherever I go. There you go. There you go. So earlier I mentioned your uh, e-collar manual that you have. I called it a book earlier, but it's yeah. that always scares people away. But, guys, it's literally the easiest thing to read. Um, and if you just yeah, go on, because Larry doesn't – he doesn't promote it. Just go on Amazon, search his name, Larry Crone, K-R-O-H-N. The book has a picture of a Rottweiler on it. It's easy to find. It's not expensive. There's a uh, – uh, download that you can do a digital download, or you can get the book yourself. I do. If you have a Kindle membership, um, I think it's free. Just saying. With the unlimited. Yeah, membership. I think so. Take a look I at it. So. Yeah. 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 So. yeah. So. Take a look at that, yeah. guys. It's easy. Um, do you do you have a website to promote like uh, any seminars or any teaching or anything you're doing? Uh, I'm supposed to be at a seminar right now. I was supposed to be doing one down in Florida, but of course it got canceled. Uh, supposed to have one coming up in St. Louis. That got canceled. I'm doing one in uh, Tucson, first week of December with Joel Silverman, and hopefully that one goes through and, and, and it'll uh, <laughs> that'll take place. But everything's just kind of been put on hold, you know. And we're living in a different world right now. The past several months, but yeah. um, uh, kind of happy the seminar in Florida got 
canceled because I would have been hurt and that would have sucked because I never want to cancel on someone. But I, I'm very, you know, I'm very active on Facebook, uh, my own regular page. I don't have a business page. My website is out there, packmasters.com. I really don't do anything to it. It hasn't been changed in years. But I'm a real easy guy to find and get a hold of. You know, I that's, give my number to people uh, several times a day that have questions. Yeah, that's spelled P A. Yeah, yeah, no C. Packmasters.com. Plus, you've got a link to the YouTube yeah, channel, which you guys have I, a, a ton of videos. Yeah, on yeah. I'm, I'm not a big promoter. The, the the book thing, I never promoted. I never really thought it would interest people, except for people that maybe I've trained with. I was completely wrong about that. It's been going very strong for over three years and I'm still extremely grateful and, and truly blown away by that. But I did write it so that the everyday pet owner would stop frying their dogs. That was the whole purpose behind it, you know, and, and it's, it's done very well. And, I, and I'm, I definitely appreciate that. Very grateful. Yeah. Uh, no problem. Look, Ted, what about you? Where can you be found? Uh, Instagram, Ted underscore Summers. Um, and then uh, Torchlight K9, under K number nine, is the kennel um, on there. And then we've also got one for uh, HRD, which is HRDPoliceK9.com. Um, and then obviously working dog, working underscore dog underscore radio. We're almost at episode 100. You figure I wouldn't fuck that up by now, but that's it for the podcast one. We also have the Patreon, uh, patreon.com. And we put up videos. In fact, I just put up three videos during um, Corona Apocalypse of the, all the PowerPoint presentations. I turn them into MP4s and put them up for everybody to watch. Uh, it's all the ones that you and I do. Um, I did a tactical tracking one that we did for one of the sheriff's offices close to here um, that kind of has some stuff in it. So, yeah, that's been interesting. We're going to work on another video for this week. So where are you up? Uh, Van S. Kane on Instagram for pretty much everything um canine related and i'll throw on a couple of personal things here and there and maybe on my story i'll tag one of my pet dog trainers with some cool videos and stuff uh van s canine academy on facebook which is a bit of a mix of both and then van s doggy daycare which is exactly what it sounds like um it's really cute pictures of dogs at daycare so that's pretty much it um larry thank you for coming on buddy uh wanted to talk to you for a long time and uh, I'm glad you were able to come on here. It's nice having guests come on that we can ask a question and you give us a nice long answer and we don't have to pull things out of you. <laughs> well, I, I don't I don't take the invitation lightly, guys. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the show and truly, truly appreciate you guys having me come on. You're pretty much scraping the bottom of the barrel now, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of which... Bottom of the barrel. That's the patch for the Patreon members. We do a patch every month, and we have a joke patch and that's coming out. That's uh, bottom of the barrel, so everyone look for that. But uh, I disagree with the assessment, though. Um, <laughs> it's been an awesome Thank episode. You guys. Appreciate and, uh, it. Yeah. So, yeah, next up, we uh, we got some pretty interesting guests coming down the line. Um, you mentioned Michael Ellis several times. Uh, Michael's agreed to come on. Um, and then uh, we got some. Uh, that's handle- awesome. We awesome. got a training corporal from Florida um, with a uh, coming on with a really really good, probably one of the best police civilian poli- police canine decoy trainer guys in the country, uh, coming on with them to talk about uh, awesome. some changes that have been made. So it's going to be good, everybody. But yeah, um, Larry, thanks That's for coming great. on, man. It's been Love awesome. It. Hey guys, right, thank up. you. Appreciate it very much. Have yourself a great weekend. Thanks, man. You too. You too, buddy. Stay safe. 
our oldest sponsor, our first sponsor, and our good friend, and a great dude all around, Arno at ALM Canine Equipment. Uh, his suits and his canine tugs and bite sleeves are some of the best in the industry. His dude, I have a whole array of different uh, hidden sleeves from him of all various levels of dogs. Uh, he has a discount code for us, which is amazing. WD Radio for ten percent off your first order. ALM Canine Equipment dot com. Give him a give him a shout, man. Arno is a good guy with great quality equipment. ALM Canine Equipment dot com. One of the original three. Sponsors that have been with us from the beginning is Tripwire Operations Group, LLC. They're an internationally recognized leading provider of products, services, and training for federal, state, local, and law enforcement agencies and military units. They are ATF licensed for explosive material manufacturer, importer, exporter, and dealer with a wide range of explosive products to offer, including custom kits. These kits are great for detection canine imprinting, and they have three different kits to choose from. These three kits combined create the complete picture for the explosive threats of canines. Be sure to check them out, tripwireops.org. The music in this episode is used with permission by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at Brother Deeg, that's spelled D-E-G-E dot net. Be sure to check him out there or on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or anywhere you stream media. This episode has been edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt. Visit our other sites at patreon.com, look for Working Dog Radio, hrdpolicecanine.com, and look for the nearest seminar near you. Your reasons, I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E.blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt. 